The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. It's Patrick Bexel here from Sweden and with my co-host today, or actually I would say guest party. It's mm-hmm. it's it's you're not as featured anymore. <laughs> well, it's spotty right now, especially this time of year with uh, all the draft content coming up. We've got scouting meetings, all that on on Dauber Prospects side. So. Uh, my schedule's getting filled up pretty quickly, but uh, whenever I have the time, I'm always happy to come on. Yeah, this is Hadi, uh, of course, Hadi Kalakash. Um, you find him at Hadi K underscore scouting. Be sure to follow him now that we're coming up towards the draft. And obviously, sure. you're, you're a Q scout for, for uh, Dauber Prospects nowadays as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I kind of do some crossover work as well. Uh, you know, some 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 regions are kind of more occupied than others, and this year the queue is kind of barren in terms of prospects. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of covering the WHL OHL kind of sporadically as well, but mainly I focus on the QMJHL guys. Yeah, well, as long as you leave the Euros for me, I'm happy with whatever you do. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> we have to give credit though. You were one of the highest ranking. People of Otto Engstrom last year, and yep. he he just won the under twenty tournament with his rugby yesterday. So mm-hmm. yeah, fair point, and and uh, we couldn't really foresee <laughs> this kind of development, but we're always happy when we're wrong that way. Uh, yeah, for sure. We are going to talk about the uh, North American forward prospects in the Montreal Canadian system, and how he's going to grade them all. So you're going to have a lot to talk about, and uh, for sure, a lot of listening to do first. And then yep. you can disagree with us in a very nice manner. Though. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to start with maybe two of the most, I should say, un- not unknown, but maybe not talk- spoken about prospects. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start with Luke Tuck. Yeah. So Luke Tuck is, I don't want to be unfair, but it's kind of deserved. Um, you know, by this year, I expected him to kind of flirt with the point per game mark as a second round pick. That's kind of what you expect. Um, for, from a, a high-touted prospect, a top 45 prospect in his draft year, you know, in in, in his what's supposed to be a senior year in the SAA. Um, he's at 20 points in 40 games, and honestly, he's just... I haven't seen much progress in the areas that I kind of was concerned with in his game. So we're talking, you know, the fact that he's an extremely linear player. He doesn't really kind of open up the ice laterally. He doesn't distribute laterally very much. He kind of just goes back and forth on the ice, and that's kind of very limiting. It's something that is definitely going to hinder him as he goes up the ranks into the pros. So for me, Tuck's the, ty- the kind of guy who, you know, I'd sign just to put in the SAA and see, uh, to, to put in the AHL and see what he can do and what progress you can see from him. But so far, season's been a, a D plus at best. Um, just in terms of the progress, there hasn't been much. And by this, by this year, I really expected a bit more from him. A D plus, you say you expected a lot more. Yeah. For us that doesn't follow the NCAA as closely, 
Mm-hmm. Is it due to his teammates? Is it due to uh, strength of competition? Or is it just, as you say, like, is there any other mitigating circumstances, really? Well, the thing is, he's been kind of sheltered. He hasn't been playing top, top minutes on uh, Boston University. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the level of competition. I think it's just his playing style. He's a very linear player. He he He's the type of guy who's going to get the puck in the neutral zone. He, he's kind of going to blow the zone early. He gets a pass and he just shoves his way to the net uh, in a straight line. And... You know, I like to see, you know, inside out shifts. I like to see, you know, uh, uh, especially for my wingers, I like my wingers to slow down the pace, to break and then accelerate, to use changes of pace in their in their kind of um, in the rush patterns in order to create offense. And it's just it's not how he plays. He reminds me a bit of Josh Anderson in that sense, but uh, a kind of really limited version of Josh Anderson because he doesn't have Anderson's speed. He doesn't have Anderson's strength. Um, you know, he's he's uh, basically a, a C version of uh, of Josh Anderson in terms of the way he plays. Um, you, you see this issue a lot with Josh Anderson. This was a big quarrel with with him for a long while. Is that he doesn't distribute. He doesn't pass you know, into dangerous ice. He doesn't open up the the ice laterally. He just he's good at getting the puck into the offensive zone in a straight line. And for me, that's the best you can expect out of Luke Tuck. In, in in a game is just for him to get the puck in the offensive zone. But once he's there, what does he do with it? Uh is kind of the question and, and is where you need to kind of focus your development with Tuck, because that's a big concern. You, you can get the puck into the offensive zone as much as you want. If you don't know what to do with it once you're there, you're not creating offense. So as as long as that doesn't progress, I I continue to see Tuck as a long shot to make the NHL. Tough words, fair words. Um, yeah, it sounds a little bit like a a, a mini version, or or a, as you said, a, a C version of uh, Dutch Gretzky as well. Yeah, no, Dale Weiss for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Weiss is actually a very good comparable as to where I kind of see Luke Tuck ending up as a player. You know, in, in terms of a, a kind of good scenario for him, is kind of as a a guy who's gonna give you like one really surprisingly good season or playoff push. But other than that, he's pretty much going to be a staple of a bottom six or a fourth line, a guy you can throw in there when you need, uh, you know, some, some heavy forechecking. checking, a guy who's going to throw his weight around and, and just disrupt the opposition. I think Tuck does that well, you know, his forechecking is pretty decent. Um, but don't expect much with him with the puck. Uh, I don't think you're going to see many high end plays from him. He just has to go to Amsterdam and play a little bit of hockey in their national league, and then he oh can yeah, access a, with a great nickname. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> one of the less spoken about prospects, though, maybe because uh, his uh, uh, relative was up in the, in Montreal. Red Pitlick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Red Pitlick has been fun to watch this year. I. You know, he, he's still kind of a long shot and he's still a very much a project. There's a lot of areas in his game that need kind of growing in terms of making sure that he's able to keep up with the NHL's physicality and level of speed. Um, but he's so skilled. He's so elusive and shifty. His skating's really strong. Um, I, I think that mentally sometimes his, his brain lags behind his feet, uh, which can lead to some issues. But there was this goal he scored in the playoffs from Minnesota where he kind of put the puck under the defender stick in front of him five, six times, uh, just threw him for a loop and and completely broke his ankles and, and went to score a top shelf on the goalie. Um, he's got a lot of skill. He's got a lot of kind of shiftiness and it makes him really fun to watch. But the lack of size combined with the lack of kind of ability to play inside contact is a concern. 
You know, I'm not always concerned with lack of size because, as we saw with guys like Xavier Simoneau, Rafael Harvey-Pinard, all that, the, your your height doesn't tell the whole picture about whether you're able to handle physicality. Uh, but with Pitlick, he's not really able to handle physicality. So that's one thing that needs to come, you know, uh, quite a way. Um, I think his shot has improved a lot since his draft year, and his playmaking has pretty much remained the same. He's up to 25 points in 40 games, um, you know, for Minnesota this year. He, he had a really good campaign for them, um, kind of playing in the shadow of the Logan Cooleys and Matthew Nyes and, and Jimmy Sniggeroods, but um, really a solid season from him as a kind of support scorer. And I, I think next year he's going to be able to build off of that and, and kind of grow his role with Minnesota. So, you know, right now a season, I'd call it maybe a C plus, a B minus in that area because of the improvements. Um, but I expect a big season out of him next year with with the the, the main cast of Minnesota gone. I, I think he has a great opportunity to take a step forward and play on their top line or their top six and really make a solid impact offensively. Indeed. Um, it, it is interesting, though, and and uh, mm-hmm. he has the skills. Yeah. Can you really see a player develop that, how should I say, hockey IQ or, or thinking faster? Yeah. Um, this is something that Adam Nicholas seems intent on. He seems convinced that you can develop hockey sense. So I'm trusting the process. Adam Nicholas is way smarter than I am. Um, so I, I'm sure that he has his ways. You know, he's talked about specific drills that you can send players in where you force them to make decisions at high speeds. And with time and with enough reps, they're able to develop um, the ability to make the right decision at high speeds to know what their next play is before they get the puck. Um, I think that Pitlick is below average in those areas, but with enough work, I think that if you can just get his processing to just even slightly above average, you can get a really good player out of Pitlick. So, you know, again, the physicality is one thing, but it's also important for him to to process a game at a higher speed. And if Adam Nicholas is right about this and he's able to work this out with Pitlick, I, I really, really like what he brings to the game. Um, the, the level of shiftiness and elusiveness that he has in the offensive zone, uh, his ability to get off the boards at times and make plays. It's it's really, really fun. Just don't expect a four checker out of Pitlick. That's just not his game. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, we've all been there one point yeah. or another. In, in, For sure. in different sports, I'm sure, but but we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Need to do the dirty work. Yeah, hundred <laughs> uh, percent. We're gonna move on, and we're gonna move on to one of the uh, better stories of this year: Riley Kidney. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Riley Kidney has improved so so much um, in one specific area, but it's kind of revolutionized this game. So if you look at his point totals, he had 45 points in 31 games for Akadi Bathurst and then 65 points in 29 games for Getsno. Um, his game didn't change between going to the two teams. You know, he, he he hasn't changed at all since the start of the year. What changes in the offseason, he did a lot of work, um, most likely with Adam Nicholas, regarding cutting to the middle of the ice. That was a big concern of mine with him, and it really limited his potential because he was so peripheral and all he did was kind of throw pucks at the at the net front from from the boards instead of trying to get off the boards and make a play now that's all he does is get off the boards and make plays so that's a really massive improvement in his in his in his kind of potential and his projection because for me he went from a best case scenario third liner to that being his most likely outcome right now so that's a great great shift in the the kind of potential that you're going to get out of kidney 
And like I said, he, he didn't change at all between Akadi Bathurst and, and Gatsuno. All that happened is that he was finally well surrounded. He was driving the bus on Akadi Bathurst. He really didn't have much uh, support in terms of scoring, in terms of players who were able to get into the right areas to receive passes. Um, you know, if you look at his goal scoring totals, he scored 14 with Akadi Bathurst and 14 with Gatsuno. The only thing that changed is he had 20 more assists with Gatsuno, which means that the passes that he was sending to to the right areas were getting converted by his teammates, which is something that wasn't happening in, in, in Akadi Bathurst. So when he got surrounded with with the guys, with, with the cast he was surrounded with in, in Gatsuno, the Zach Deans, the, um, and, and the plethora of small scoring wingers that they have, he just kind of exploded offensively because he finally had people that were able to read off of him and understand what he's trying to do. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there was much improvement between the two teams, but this year in general, we, we've seen a completely new Riley Kidney. So for me, this season has been an A for him. Just so the, the level of improvement he's shown is just really impressive. I think he has a shot at, you know, being at least in Laval's top six next year, something like that. It's going to be a full top six though, right? Yeah, no, it's it's and that's what's fun is when when you hold on to your draft picks and you you kind of you, you kind of add all these assets, you end up with so many players that can fill out your your roster that all you have to do is just build your core and focus on that. So it lets the Habs make risky decisions with their picks, you know, high risk, high reward decisions with their picks where they're drafting guys like Lane Hudson, um, you know, guys who if they hit, they'll hit big, but if they miss, they'll miss completely. And, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to see what the, what the Habs have done with their, with their pipeline. Cause now all they have to focus on is get stars and however you get them, you know, you know, tank, tanking like this year is a great example. We're going to get probably a top six player in this year. And also when you, when you have that many prospects that are about to hit, yeah, you can trade one or two of them away for a star. Exactly. So you, you, just adding the, the amount of assets that the Habs have added in the last two years, it's, there's no there's no loss to it. You know, it's not it's not like there's only a certain number of prospects you can have in the pool. There's a certain number of contracts you can have, yeah. but you can you can have as many prospects as you want. Then you can trade them wherever you want. If you have too much of anything, I'd rather have too much of anything than not enough of everything. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, so I'm really happy with what the Habs have done this year. I think it was mentioned on on the podcast uh, previously with with Jared and uh, Scott. No, with Jared, Matt, and and, and Anton, that when when yeah. Bergevin was there, you had to hit with every pick. Mm-hmm. Now it's more like you have enough picks, so you don't have to hit, but you hit anyway. Yeah, hundred percent. It's just you, you have more darts, so you're more yeah. likely to hit the hit the board. Yeah. You know, we're gonna move to another outstanding story of this season. Uh, Joshua Roy, and I, I, I want to mention this now, Hadi. You know, Matt is a huge fan. Matt was sent to the 12th regiment in Valcartier, and, and uh, not to be not not to learn how to drive a tank, but to become one. So, so be careful around this name, please. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Joshua Roy is, you know, I was worried at the start of the year because I kind of saw the same Joshua Roy as last year, but as the months went on you saw some improvement in how he scored his points. You know, if you look at his raw totals, he's actually dipped in production compared to last year. But if you kind of look deeper into how he's scoring his points, how how he's scoring his goals, he's not exclusively relying on his ability to find space because I've mentioned this a lot, but the time frame you have to find space in the offensive zone, the difference between the QMJHL and the NHL is immeasurably massive. So 
a player who's able to find space in the in the offensive zone in the QMJHL, th- that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be able to to translate that to the to the NHL. So what I like from Joshua Roy is just the way that he was able to find space. Now instead of just kind of sneaking everywhere, he's establishing contact and pushing off players, opening up a stick, getting ready for a shot. He's you know circling up you know closer to his defenseman and funneling down the offensive zone, that kind of stuff, rather than just kind of getting lost because it's easy to get lost with the level of defense there is in the QMJHL, but it's not easy to get lost when you have any chellers on the ice. So there's been massive improvements in his off buck movement that have helped him kind of develop even further his ability to, to, to score goals from dangerous areas. He's added a couple layers to his playmaking. I've, I've seen a couple area passes and backhand passes and slip passes, which weren't always there in his draft year, um, especially not, you know, and, and not last year either. Uh, so there's a couple things he's added in terms of his tools, but especially he's become an incredibly good support player. He's not content with being the play driver on his team, which, you know, with the level of skill he has, he's absolutely that player on the Phoenix. But when he went to the World Juniors, you saw how good he was at being able to help the stars flourish. When he played with Connor Bedard and Logan Stankoven, when he played with Adam Fantilli, he was drawing players to him. He was getting involved in board battles and making sure to kind of stall the game just long enough to make sure that his teammate was open so he can get the puck on the stick of a star and let them kind of do their thing. And I think that's what we're going to we're going to come to expect from Joshua Roy as an NHLer because I think he definitely makes the NHL. It's just a matter of, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be a main support. He's, he's not going to be a main kind of play driver on his line. He's not the type of guy who's going to carry the puck up the offensive zone all the time, but he's going to make it so easy for his teammates to do that. And that's priceless to me. You compare him with guys like Nick Suzuki. Hopefully, you know the Zach Bensons or Will Smiths that we're going to pick up in this draft. Um, we're gonna we're gonna pick Leo Carlson. Uh, hopefully, for sure. If we get a, <laughs> I think he's gone by pick four. But if we're picking fourth overall, I'm running to the stage for Leo Carlson. He's so fun. Um, but setting that aside, I, I think that you know if you pair him with a star, he's going to make them good, and it's going to seem like Joshua Hua is coasting on their coattails and getting points because he's playing with a star. But when you're going to look deeper at the games and what he does, the subtleties in his game to, to free up these players, you're going to see that the stars want to be able to function as well without Joshua. Hua. So I think that's what we're going to come to expect from him, um, you know, in his career. You mentioned him getting lost or, or trying to find the open eye or, or yeah. hidden eyes, maybe we should say yeah. uh, where, where people doesn't, doesn't look. It sounds to me, if he can read that the game that well, he would suit well with a new kind of hockey that is being played in the NHL and that we have seen in the SHL and some of the European leagues quite a bit, where you look to basketball or handball to overload and create a, a numerical situation yeah. advantage uh, by, by including the defenders. And it seems like this is the kind of player that Ruai is, even if I haven't watched him, but hearing you talk about him, hearing Max talk about him, reading some of the articles that is written about him. Uh, I mean, thing, I've only seen him in in, in the mm-hmm. World Juniors. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing with Joshua that's so fun is his versatility. He could fit perfectly into an old school system because he's so good along the boards, because he's really good on the forecheck. But you're absolutely right. He could fit really well in a new new school system as well, a system that includes defenders, that um, is kind of more free form because he's so good at finding space. Now, as I mentioned, if, if we were talking last year, I would have been a bit concerned because his ability to find space was really reliant on mistakes from opponents rather than on his strengths. Uh-huh. But this year, it's really become kind of reliant on what he's able to do and how how smart he is. 
So that's one big improvement in this game that I'm really impressed with. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to translate pretty seamlessly to kind of to, to, to NHL hockey. But I'd still be more comfortable giving him at least half a season in the AHL just to have him kind of acclimate to the new environment, to bigger, stronger opponents, to faster opponents, faster reaction times and all that, because he has a lot of time. To, he has a lot of time to decide what he wants to do with the puck right now. And that's not going to be the case as he moves forward. I might have missed it, but what grade did you give him? Oh, um, it's going to be a B plus for him. There was there were some improvements in, in good areas. I, I think last year was an A plus for Joshua Roy. Just an absolutely fantastic season. Um, there was a dip in production, but I'm still impressed with what he's done. So yeah, B plus sounds right for me. Yeah, uh, we're gonna go to uh, Guindon, and I'm sorry how I pronounced that. Oh yeah, but I mean, Cedric Cedric Guindon was one of those players who, you know, you kind of know what you're gonna get from him, and um, I see him more as a type of guy who's gonna be kind of a best of bottom six player, but. To get that where the Habs got him, I think is pretty impressive. Uh, with Gaindon, you know, he had a pretty decent season. Um, 69 points and 68 gains, about a point per game in the OHL. You know, nothing to write home about, but nothing kind of to, to shy away from necessarily for a fourth-round pick. Um, he's primarily a playmaker, but I really, really like his ability to get open in the offensive zone. To um, He gets a lot of shots off in his games, uh, w- which is kind of a good sign because... Volume shooters tend to be a lot more effective moving forward than uh, shooters that rely on accuracy. So, you know, a player who's going to take two, three shots a game and and score on a third of them, it's not really kind of sustainable because as you reach the NHL, goaltenders goal get better um, and all that stuff. So, Gaydon, I feel even though he has more than twice the amount of assists than he has goals, uh, 22 goals and 47 assists, I think that his goal scoring is going to be a bit more translatable than his playmaking. Um, he's a really, really smart player. He's a really kind of cerebral guy who's who's comfortable taking time with the puck and making decisions. Um, but when he decides to speed up the play, to, to 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 speed up his pace of processing, you can see that he's able to keep up with, you know, his feet can keep up with his brain. His hands can keep up with his brain. Um, that's one thing that I really like about Gaindon. I, I think that, you know, his season this year is kind of a, a C plus, B minus. Um, but it's kind of a really good season for a guy who you're picking in the fourth round who, you know, you're kind of just throwing a dart at and seeing if he works out. I, I, I've been decently impressed with Gaindon, but nothing that blew me out of the water. Um, I think playing this year with, uh, I believe it was Colby Barlow that's on his team. Um, having Colby Barlow on this line kind of kind of led to his, his assist numbers being that high, but I see him primarily as a goal scorer moving forward in his career. Winter's Roar. Harder, faster, roarer, as we yeah. like to say here on the pod. Um, For sure. Uh, ten less games than last year. A couple of, well, one point more um, with the Ottawa 76ers. Also an mm-hmm. outing in the under-20s that, uh, or, or World Juniors, I, that I was really sorry for him because Austria was so, so bad. And also he got injured, which really, really yeah. sucked for him. But um yeah, with Thor, I mean, you look at the point totals and you're like, ah, this is nothing. But the point totals hide the fact that Rory was very much often the player who was kind of the, the heartbeat of his line uh, in Ottawa. He spent a lot of time playing with uh, Luca Pinelli and uh, Tyler Boucher. That was a line for a while. And those three together, Boucher was kind of the finisher. Pinelli was kind of the playmaker. And Vincent Rory was just the heartbeat of that team. Every forecheck, he was leading it. Every back check, he was there. Um, you know, 
both moving forward and going back, he's one of the most intense players in the OHL, constantly on on fifth or sixth gear, trying to create turnovers, trying to trying to disrupt the opponents. And especially he's added a lot of physicality to his game. He was already kind of a very punishing player. He used his stick a lot in, in board battles. You know, he, he wasn't he wasn't shy from cross-checking players twice his size. Um but now he's added this ability to just throw a reverse hit, to lean on a player, uh, to push them into the boards, get him away from the puck. He's just a very, very intense player. I think if you kind of want to build a checking line, you know, I, I think that the best thing you can get out of Roar is a really, really good third line checking forward. You know, type of guy who's going to score you maybe 15, 20 goals um, on a third line, but really contribute a lot on the forecheck and get you those dirty goals that you need in the playoffs, that kind of thing. I think like Roar this year, he was a B for me. Um, there were areas of his game that I was concerned with that he showed true improvements in. Um, but there's also the fact that he hasn't really shown much offensively to kind of jump off the table. He's just kind of been the guy who's been constantly, you know, pushing his team into the offensive zone, but he wasn't finishing plays. He wasn't, you know, he, he would get the puck on the four check plate, low to high and kind of let his teammates do the rest, which I don't think is going to work at the next level, but I think that's easily correctable. Uh, whereas, you know, teaching a player to, to have that level of intensity, that level of drive that he has is extremely difficult. So I think he has really good foundations to build his career. How much of the 30-plus swing in plus-minus is due to his play or due to Ottawa's play? Well, here's the thing with Ottawa is, you know, playing with Tyler Boucher will drive your 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 plus-minus down down the line for sure. I mean, Boucher is not the type of guy you can expect to do much for you defensively. He's not the type of guy who's going to um, make a lot of smart plays. He's just the type of guy who's going to find space in the offensive zone and wire the puck with his heavy shot. So I think that, you know, I never really look at plus-minus as a major tool to kind of understand whether a player is doing good or bad on the ice because it's, it's so kind of reliant on so many different factors that don't really have to do with skill alone. But um, I still believe that, you know, Roar's plus minus would have been better with different players because he was driving a lot of the the play. He was driving a lot of the play up the zone. So I was really kind of impressed with what I saw from him. I, I don't think there's much concern in terms of his plus minus at all. No, it's more the fact that it's minus nine from last year and it's plus 22 this year. So it's a 30 yeah. point swing in, in, in a year. And, no, it's that that's said something, I think. You know, when it's if it's just a couple of goals here and there, I don't care. But when it's yeah. 30, then then you start to wonder. Uh, yeah. it's a trend more than just, you know, it's not just a couple of empty net goals or something like that. For sure, hundred percent. It's contextual. But for me, you know, Roar has been the type of guy who for from last year, I think the main thing that's that's changed is that he's been much more able to gain back possession and keep it on this team stick. I think that's the main thing. And I, that might be one of the things that's leading to this huge swing in plus minus. Yeah. Uh, yep. We're going to go to, um, well, maybe someone that has an underrated season uh, in, in general. Um, mm -hmm. I won, I know he was uh, asked to go to Europe by many European clubs. Uh, yep. I know uh, that, that he was interested in it as well. He was also interested in staying in the AHL. But what mm -hmm. can you really tell us about Philip Meshar's season as a whole this year? Uh, it's been rough with the Kitchener Rangers. Um, and it's not it's none of his own fault. I mean, it's kinda it kind of is, but not as much as the point totals would suggest. He has been kind of misused all year on a team that's had a kind of rotating cast of of coaching staff and 
Um, it's been really difficult for him to find a chair in that team and stick to it. So there's there were games where he played on the third, fourth line and with teammates that don't really understand the way he plays. So he would kind of make really smart plays, but had no one to kind of play off of him and, and keep the puck in the offensive zone and create chances and all that stuff. So I think in the playoffs, you've seen a change because he was paired with uh, Francesco Pinelli and that, that pairings kind of worked out really well uh, throughout the year. So when they were put back together, I think that there was a big change, but the Kitchener Rangers have had a lot of trouble with, you know, keeping their lineup straight and not kind of panicking and making decisions um, in terms of who plays with who the moment they lose a game. Um, the, the, it was kind of an impatient situation with, with the Rangers and it kind of did harm Meshar in that sense. But the thing with Meshar is that he hasn't really kind of grown his game in any major steps because he hasn't been able to find any consistency that is comfortable enough for him to start exploring different areas. He's kind of just been in survival mode all year. Um, just trying to keep his head above the water. Um, but I think that next year we're going to see a big change in that because, you know, if he goes back to the Kitchener Rangers, he's going to be in an environment he's familiar with. He's going to be a veteran. He's going to be a guy who's kind of trusted with heavier heavier minutes, more more kind of offensive scenarios. We might see a big change in that because Meshar is going to have the proper equipment to work with in terms of developing his toolkit. But as of right now, I haven't seen I haven't seen any improvement per se in Meshar's game, so he stays at about a, a, a D plus C minus for me. You, you you mentioned not an improvement. You mentioned obviously the the uh, cultural differences and coming yeah. from a pro league, even mm-hmm. if it's a lower ranked pro league, having yeah. played there two years. His how I mean, like obviously he wanted to stay in a pro league. That that, mm-hmm. that was pretty obvious. Yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. And and how much. We've seen it with Norlander. We saw it a little bit with Heinemann coming back to Sweden this year, mm-hmm. Norlander last year. How much mm-hmm. is a confidence thing to to maybe go somewhere where you're not really familiar, not having lost a little bit of confidence because you're not at that level that you think you are? Yeah, so for me, it's a two-way street in terms of that. You know, there's both the confidence of the player of being in a new environment, needing to adapt to new faces, you know, a new language, all that. And how that can affect your confidence on the ice. And there's also the reverse aspect of do your coaches trust you? Do your teammates trust you? You know, that's why it's so the the information across because, as you mentioned, another language. Exactly. So I I don't think that's as big of a concern with Meshar. From what I've seen, he does speak broken English, but I think he can get his, his head around the kind of basic concepts. But for me, the main concern is he was playing on, you know, with a staff that didn't really seem to trust him with higher minutes. So for me this year, you know, sending him to the OHL with the Kitchener Rangers, I feel like he would have progressed a lot more if he stayed with, uh, with HK Paprod in, uh, in the Czech league, um, in the Slovak league, that would have been kind of the best kind of scenario for him because you're back with a familiar environment. You're a year older, your, your coaches are expecting more from you. Your teammates know who you are, know where to find you, know how to play off of you. And you're able to kind of develop your game and explore new things because you're in a familiar environment. When you're in a non-familiar environment, you have to spend a lot of time and energy learning how to play off your teammates, learning how your coaches want you to play. Whereas if you stay in the same environment, Often, more often than not, you already have integrated these things, and all you have to do is just kind of explore your game and see what works and what doesn't. So I think that was the main thing that was missing missing in Meshar's game this year is that he didn't have much opportunity to to kind of explore his game and and grow his toolkit. 
I, I was going to say, um, it reminds me a little bit about Yasipuli um, Yarbi. Uh, yeah, you know, you 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 don't bring him over, keep mm-hmm. him in in the native country, put an English coach in his ear, uh, mm-hmm. like learn English properly, or or and 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 have him study another hour a day, just lo- yeah. studying English in class. You know, like yeah. And we saw Yura Savkovsky going back and finishing his high school diploma. Uh, yeah. So so you 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 wanted, I mean, like that could also be smart development in many ways. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that's why I was kind of one of the main proponents of, you know, if you're going to sign Slavkovsky, play him, at, play him at a level where he's going to be playing multiple minutes, where he has as much time as possible to acclimate. Um, but I was always of the camp of, you know, send him back to, to Europe, um, have him kind of develop his game in uh, in Finland, you know, continue to play with the guys he's been playing with and, and kind of learn how to build chemistry with them. And then once he's purely 100% ready for the NHL, bring him in. Um, that was kind of the camp I was on from day one, but you know, the best for me, the, the second best scenario for him was playing in the AHL. And then the third best scenario was if he is ready for bottom six or middle six minutes in the NHL and you, you don't want him to be playing in the AHL for whatever reason. I mean, yeah, you could play him in the NHL, but I don't think he was going to start the year. I don't, I don't think he should have started the year in the NHL. I, don't, I think that was something that. It was a lot of weight on his shoulders, especially in a market like Montreal. Even though this, everyone knew this was a loss here. You can see how the fans are celebrating when uh, the Habs win one game. You know, it's it's there's no pressure this year. Um, but still, it's a very rough environment to kind of be thrown into the into the wolf's den right away. So, I kind of feel for Slavkovsky in that scenario. But yeah, I'm always of the of the opinion that you should keep players in environments they're comfortable with, so that you can let them just explore their game and learn new things. Again. I missed your grade on Meshar. We're going to go back oh. to the list. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, it's uh, kind of a D plus C minus type thing. Uh, we're keeping it. We, we're, we're nice. My, te- my my students say I'm not nice grading, but we're giving him a C minus here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, I, I think we, we uh, when it comes to that, uh, and and we were speaking about in the in the Ice on the Price chat as well, uh, mm-hmm. Slavkovsky would have gone down if you didn't get injured that that's more or less certain or yeah. how you look at it when, when, when you look and, and with the exception for all the injuries that was happening in, in Montreal as well, we know the sure. athletics still has him and that's number one on their redraft board a year later. So that's mm-hmm. comfortable to see. Um, mm-hmm. We got two players left, both yep. really, really impressive players, uh, both having played for the big team this year. Um, mm-hmm. We got Owen Beck. And- yep as the second to last, and then everyone can figure out what kind of what, what the last name on the list will be. Yeah, so Owen Beck, um, his trade from Mississauga to Peterborough kind of made his production dip, but it's mainly because the Peets were, were, you know, acquired Beck with the idea of, you know, we're going to make sure that he is um, kind of locking things down defensively for us. They kind of acquired him to be their defensive center, to be the guy that he that they throw in, you know, defensive zone face-offs on the PK, that kind of thing. And that's been working out great for him. And, you know, even though the production's dipped, I think that he's really in a chair where, you know, he's going to be able to improve that area of his game. Whereas in, Peter, in Mississauga, he was their main play driver. He was scoring a lot of points, you know, getting some goals, all that stuff, which is always great. But I really wanted to see him hone his defensive side, make it, make it even more of a strength so that, the moment he gets in the NHL, he's already got a baseline to work off of. You know, when Owen Beck makes the NHL, I don't think he gets sent down. 
because he's got such a strong defensive baseline that on his worst day, he's a Jake Evans, but on his best day, he's a, he's a second, third line center. So that's what I'm kind of excited with, with Owen Beck is that trade has really helped him, especially, you know, the, the Peterborough Pates just um, swept their opponents in the first round. They're heading into the second round, um, kind of all, all guns blazing, ready to go. So I'm really excited to see what he does with, um, with uh, the Pates this year in the OHL cup. Uh, it's going to be really fun to see this year. I'd, I'd say that Owen Beck, especially with the fact that, you know, the Habs had multiple options to, to call up a player when they went down a guy and really needed an emergency call up. They chose Owen Beck for a reason. It's because for me, he's pretty much the closest to the NHL among the Habs prospects. And that's crazy given the fact that he was drafted, you know, last year. Um, so, yeah, for me, Owen Beck, this season's a B plus for him. Even though the production hasn't been ridiculously good, I think that a straight to Peterborough is going to open up a lot of opportunities for him to make sure that his defensive game is as good as it can be. That way, once he gets to the NHL, he's not going back to the AHL. Uh, and and that has really been the the uh, it's it's been in the spotlight since day one. How for sure how good Owen Beck is. And I remember speaking before the draft with you and you were telling me that this was one name to keep an eye on. And yep. we didn't we didn't expect him to fall into the second round. Yep. Um, and it was a bit of a gamble, maybe taking Meshar in the first round and Beck in the mm-hmm. second for yep. Montreal. Uh, worked out well. Uh, mm-hmm. But fantastic player, huge talent, obviously yep. getting a chance to play in the in the um, World Juniors as well. Uh, fantastic yeah. in, in that regard, coming in um, and, and actually making an impact as well in those two games, right, that he played. Yeah, he, he got a scoring chance on, I think, the one shift he played in his first game. Um, really good scoring chance. He was creative. He was good defensively. I was honestly astounded to see him just not make the lineup at all um, out of camp. But once, um, I believe it was Colton Dock who got injured, once he got injured and he needed a call up, Owen Beck was the first name they called up. And when he slotted into the lineup, even though he was playing as their 13th forward and only played, you know, five, six minutes in half of his games, um, he did really well. And I was really impressed with him. I'm just excited to see what he does next year because he's still eligible, of course. I think next year is going to be one of their kind of central pieces, especially um, in terms of, you know, making sure that their defensive side of, of things is good enough because, you know, the World Juniors is always kind of a scoring tournament. Usually the team with the best power play ends up winning the tournament regardless. Um, so having a guy who's going to limit every power play he faces, a guy who's going to win you more face-offs than anyone else on your team, it's priceless. I think that, you know, Owen Beck's going to be a great kind of central piece for Team Canada next year. Indeed, and it will be in a fantastic city just down the road from where I live, Gothenburg. So oh, please be absolutely. welcome, and, and uh, uh, I can't host everyone here, but I can definitely host a party here, that's for sure. For sure, yeah. Um, Sarah didn't hear that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, anyone that listens, please hit me up. At least I can give you some recommendations for cinnamon rolls, coffee, drinks, um, and vitamin drinks, uh, because I don't speak about alcoholic drinks like Scott does. Of course. <laughs> then... Uh, the one that is has signed and is up with the team right now, Sean Farrell. Yeah, um, I think Farrell, apart from Slavkovsky, is the only other forward in the Habs prospect pool who has a decent chance of becoming a top six player. Um, 
not just in terms of what I saw from him this year in the in the NCAA. I'll, I'll say this right off the bat: his season was an A plus. Um, more points than Matt Coronado. More more points than anyone else on his team. He was top five in the NCAA, in the entire NCAA in scoring. Um, fantastic in terms of what he's added to his game as well. His ability to play inside contact, etc. A lot of improvements in his game. But one thing that really struck me once he joined the Habs was I, I saw a lot of intensity from him with Harvard. But nothing like what he displayed in his games uh, for the Habs earlier this this month. Um, just nose to the grind constantly, uh, just constantly trying to push the pace, trying to push defenders back, giving them trouble on the forecheck, um, back checking hard, being in good defensive positions. There was one specific back check where he kind of stick lifted a player as he was almost going alone against Montabu. Um, so I, I tweeted this out, but if Sean Farrell continues to, to make back checks like these, he's going to make himself a fan favorite and a coach's favorite. And that's just going to help him get even more offensive scenarios. And we haven't even gotten into the offensive tools. Sean Farrell is the best playmaker in the half system. Um, his, his ability to make passes through seams. I think that Sean Farrell at his best could become a better playmaker than Nick Suzuki. And that's, saying that's something, a tough you- statement. How do you back that up? <laughs> Sean Farrell can pass through sticks like they don't exist. So if he if he's able to continue honing his play, continue to, you know, learn how to play quick touch hockey, which he's already doing, um, just the fact that he's able to misdirect opponents so regularly and find I, I can't count the amount of times he's made crossing passes. And it's it's easily five or six a game. You know, and and that's not even counting the power play where he's just that's all he does is just receive pucks on the half wall, uh, fake as if he's going to the slot or or fake as if he's going to the point and then just fire a puck across the ice to Matt Coronado, who's wide open for a one timer, that kind of thing. He's just so, so smart with the way he distributes the puck and he has so many different passes he can use. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but it's so important to have different passes in your arsenal. Um, saucer passes, slip passes, area passes, um, you know, using the boards, all that stuff. You know, it's it's such an underrated aspect of playmaking, just having as many passes as possible in your arsenal. And Farrell's super comfortable on the backhand as well. So that kind of doubles the amount of passes he's able to make. So I, I love Nick Suzuki and I love his playmaking. He, the way he sets up Cole Caulfield on the power play is absolutely fantastic. But I'm just saying, Sean Farrell at his best, at, at you know, if he hits his ceiling, Sean Farrell's going to be a better playmaker than Nick Suzuki. Well, we know Cole Caulfield thought that draft day, but well, yep. he still has to prove it at this level. Uh, but it's interesting to see. Do you see any <laughs> problems with his size? Uh, somewhat. Um, Farrell has gotten a lot better at uh, lowering his center of gravity and playing through contact. You know, establishing body positioning before trying to establish possession. That's one big thing that he's improved a lot. Um, and especially his ability to kind of spin off of contacts to get his body low and kind of cut across opponents' hands. All that stuff's improved a lot, but there's still the concern that he has a lot of intensity to his game. So he's going to be spending a lot of time with his back to the play with a player pinning him along the boards. I'm not sure how he handles getting pinned along the boards and how well he's going to be able to get the puck free, get it to a teammate, that kind of thing. But in open ice, it's not a problem at all. It's just really along the boards that it becomes an issue. And and really, he shouldn't really be among along the boards if he becomes a playmaker. Yeah, and you know, it's it's always going to be a style to trying to, to try to grind plays out of the boards and into the middle. But I think the faster he he learns, you know, if he learns to get off the boards as fast as possible, 
to make his plays, there's going to be no problem with his size. It's just that right now, as he plays, he spends a lot of time on the boards. But he's he's adapted one specific little detail that's really so important is that he doesn't stick his his back to the boards when he's um you know when he's when he's watching a forecheck when he's watching his teammates battle for a puck deep in the zone and he's kind of along the boards and waiting for a pass he doesn't stick his back to the boards what he does is he gives himself a good you know a good foot and a half two feet off the boards where he stands that way if he receives a puck he's able to spin in either direction to 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 accelerate so that he's not limited by the boards he's not held back by the boards and he's able to accelerate and find open space really well so he's kind of learned a couple tweaks to adapt around his lack of size but i think that with the level of intensity that he plays with is still gonna there's still gonna be some moments where he's stuck along the boards we've been talking about the forward prospects in the montreal canadians prospect pool the north american forwards let's be honest about that we have a few forwards to go in europe as well or one actually uh but um the nine here you have Lupchak at a D plus. You have Pitlick at a C plus. You have Farrell at an A plus. You have Meshar at a C minus. Rohrer at a B. Gundon C minus. Beck B plus, right? B plus, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Roy a B plus, and obviously Kidney with a straight A. Um, yeah. Fantastic to have you on, honey. Where do you want to promote your work except for Double Prospect? Do you still do the video channel on YouTube or? or... Yeah, we're taking a break from the podcast just to restructure to get some co-hosts and kind of have something more kind of tangible and concrete as the draft rolls around. So just wait for updates on that. But the one-stop shop is Twitter, HattieK underscore scouting. Everything I write, everything I post, all the YouTube videos I make, they all end up there. So if you just follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to keep up with everything I do. And of course, you're still writing for websites on the price on our Absolutely. website. Uh, new look, same address. Please find us there. Be sure to comment. Be sure to ask any questions about this article that is uh, coming out along with this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. It's always a pleasure to have you on, Hadi. Thank you. No problem at all.